Now add Kempville District Hospital to the list, which is south of Ottawa. It will close its ER from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. for six nights until Tuesday morning. According to the Ministry of Health, there were a total of 21 overnight ER closures during the two weeks prior to this one. For care. Six ERs in Quebec, including one in Montreal, temporarily closed in July, and there were closures and reductions in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland and Labrador, and all three territories. On the West Coast, Ashcroft, B.C.'s emergency room has closed continuously, and two residents who live nearby died. Kamloops, about an hour away, is the nearest medical facility. So this is, this is basically what you'd be greeted with, right? Yes. This means that anybody who comes to the Emerge for Care will not get it. It's 5 p.m. This tiny hospital in Chesley, Ontario is closing its emergency room for the night. This is the wrong time to be learning this, to be showing up at the ER. Yes. If it's urgent, then we call an ambulance for them, or they call an ambulance. So they, they would get to the ER and yes. then have to call an ambulance? Yes. To come here and take them to another hospital? Yeah. We've always had a public health care system in the province of Ontario, and we will continue to. Are we looking at options? Absolutely. There are jurisdictions in other parts of Canada, in the world, that have other opportunities that we're going to look at. And all of those suggestions are being considered and studied. Hey everyone, welcome to today's view. My name is Elton. My name is Anrinder. Yeah, how was the uh, long weekend there, Labor Day weekend? It was good. It was good. Uh, took the kids out to the CNE. And, uh, oh man, it's, it's gotten quite expensive. From uh, you know, from last time I went, yeah. um, I think they're trying to make uh, up the revenue from the last few years, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> how much do you think you spend there? Oh man, I think uh, yeah, close to three, four hundred dollars. Uh, took you know, um, my kids and my my nephews, so about you know, four or five hundred dollars uh, we've spent, and that's an you know, that's an average family. So, but how was yours? That was all right, but not as expensive as yours, but. Can't complain to this guy here who's willing to spend 5k for a family doctor out in Vancouver. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, so it seems like things are not working out in the healthcare field there. Um, there's a clip out there explaining why he wanted to spend uh, mm -hmm. $5,000 trying to find a personal doctor. So let's just play that and see uh, his reasoning for it. Okay, let's hear it. I mean, I placed the ad because I need a family doctor. It's that simple for Gary Schuster, who suffers from a metabolic disorder so rare, he carries around these information cards about the disease should he fall ill. Emergency room doctors typically have no or little experience with fatty acid oxidation disorders. His condition, CPT2 deficiency, needs consistent monitoring, something that disappeared when his family doctor retired. Efforts to find a new doctor have so far led to long wait lists. So he placed this ad, offering $5,000 to anyone who can help him find a suitable family doctor near his home in downtown Vancouver. Need someone who's capable of tracking the disease, understanding it. Um, you know, typically if I have to see a doctor I'm not familiar with, uh, the first 10 minutes of that session is explaining what the disease is. An estimated 1 million British Columbians are without a family doctor. Last week, the province announced $118 million in stopgap funding to support the sector, while a new fee structure is negotiated with physicians. But that won't help Schuster find the help he needs now. This is truly sad, but again, indicative of how bad the healthcare crisis is on the ground. I hope one of my colleagues can, and I'm sure they will, someone will try to make room for him. Nobody should ever have to put an ad in the paper. As a dual Canadian U.S. citizen, Schuster's considered buying private health insurance across the border and finding a doctor in Washington state. We know the battle ahead will be long. But he believes in public health care even fought for it while living in California before moving to Vancouver after Donald Trump became president. I actively worked on um, the Obama campaign in 08 uh, precisely because he was promising to deliver a Canadian-like system. So it's not lost on Schuster how his $5,000 incentive undermines the very system he believes in. I think it's terrible that I'm able to do that and others can't. It's unfair, it's not how the system was supposed to be built. But at the same time, I have young kids, and if something were to happen to me, it would really be a disaster for them. As of Wednesday afternoon, two people who don't want payment had responded to the ad.
Karen Larson, CBC News, Vancouver. Yeah, lots of things to unpack there with him. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, I'm glad two people, you know, uh, responded to him and hopefully he can can family uh, find a family doctor. Mm-hmm. It seems like a special disorder, obviously, uh, you know, it doesn't apply to an average Canadian. Uh, but it's very interesting that he <laughs> he's one of those guys that moved here since Donald Trump <laughs> came yeah, into power uh, and so, he moved over. So I think that speaks to volumes about privatization of healthcare and mm-hmm. then public healthcare. Yeah. Um, Especially with his type of disease, it it sounded like it was going to be an expensive thing to take care of. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't blame him. I, I've, there's a lot of Americans who said they would, uh, you know, they, they would leave when Donald Trump yeah. became president, and a lot of people did. And he's one of them, and it's interesting. So he is a dual citizen. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so he he did advocate uh, with uh, the Obama campaign mm-hmm. to bring in, you know healthcare to copy the period or mimic the Canadian system and yeah. now he's having trouble himself with the Canadian healthcare system and it's interesting they said uh, right? close to 1 million uh, in uh, BC don't have family doctors yeah which is a quarter of the population so that's yeah. that's where it's interesting i think uh, you know and that's overall in Canada there's about 5 million Canadians who don't have a family doctor right and and, and it's crazy to think that we don't have family doctors to take care of the population and this is what's stressing out our er systems the lack of doctors personal family doctors the lack of nurses agreed and i think this is how hierarchy starts i think you know starts with the doctors not having a family doctor because what what happens if your kid gets sick or you get sick you know if you have a family doctor you can go them Mm -hmm. and most of the time that is you know that is your visit you get the prescription you go to the pharmacist you get the drug and then that takes care of most of the problems, right? right yeah. You don't go into the ER. Now, what happens if you, you don't have a family doctor? Right. right? And, and it looks like that's what's happening here. We, we don't have doctors to go to and then we're, going f- we're forced to go to ERs to diagnose a simple thing yeah. that a family doctor could have taken care of. I mean, there are walk-in clinic options, but I hate them. I personally have gone to oh, a yeah. few of them. Right. And <laughs> the reason I hate them is because you get... You know, you get a doctor who doesn't know you, who doesn't know your history. Right. Um, and then other than uh, giving you maybe Tylenol or Advil, they don't really do much. You right, know, and, yeah. they, and, and I understand why. They don't want to take on the liability. God forbid they want to uh, they give you a medication that, you know, they don't know your, your history or whatnot. And you can't, can't, can't explain that within a few minutes to a doctor. So they don't want to give you you know, a specific medication, unless you go to them over and over again. And oh, then, sure. you know, so I understand that, that point of view, but the challenge here is, is because we don't have enough family doctors, it's, I think it's causing an overload on the healthcare system. It's oh, causing, sure. it's causing wait time, longer wait times in ER. It's causing a, you know, which is in effect, um, you know, there's always a shortage. So we have a shortage of doctors, we have a shortage of nurses, We and then it, it affects, it's yeah. a ripple effect that affects EMS and other mm-hmm. services as well. So oh, yeah, it, it's definitely a cascading effect. And, and the problem right now is, um, even over the Labor Day weekend, we had closures of ERs, mm-hmm. uh, just because they had a lack of staff. Yep. And some of the ERs that were mentioned uh, on the news was, uh, Newfoundland had eight ER places closed down. Wow. Uh, and just in Ottawa or south of Ottawa, there were two small cities that had to close ERs. Now, that might not seem like a big thing for certain people, like mm-hmm. um, maybe the small towns close their ERs because mm-hmm. they're not getting anything. But let's say they do get something. Those patients now have to go to major cities to get uh, treated, right? And, and then, this is where EMS is now has to travel further. Yeah. So, you know, instead of 10, 15 minute drive or, you know, 20 minute drive, now it's turning it to an hour drive or longer and then when they get to when they get to the er um they have to offload and because there's a nurse uh, nurse shortage yeah they have to then wait until that transfer care is done and then they can relieve so it's it's causing a huge shortage in 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 ems as well oh yeah and and there was a clip about it uh cbc was doing uh not like a like a short documentary with uh the ottawa ems Mm -hmm. And it was pretty shocking during their during their interview. There was a moment where they didn't have enough ambulances. And, oh yeah, uh, we, I, we have a clip out there. Yeah, uh, we'll just play that for yeah. a bit. Let's play that. Yeah. What is your emergency? 
inside Ottawa's 911 nerve center at a moment no one wants to ever happen. We're at uh, level zero right now. Level zero. That's right. Which literally means zero ambulances. That are available to transport someone to the hospital. So yeah, that's that's the clip right there. It, it's crazy. Um, mm -hmm. Level zero basically means that there's no ambulances available. Yeah, for so, the city of Ottawa. The capital yeah. of Canada yeah. didn't have <laughs> enough ambulances, which wow. speaks to a lot of things there. Yeah. Now, we only played a short uh, <laughs> amount of that clip there, but mm -hmm. it explains why they were short on uh, EMS. Um, problem being is they were not able to offload their patients mm -hmm. because there's not enough nurses to take care and triage this. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, why are we getting all these shortage of staff with so nurses and doctors? Just to kind of give you some data um, yeah. of a graph here. Um, and it shows how many RNs employed in direct care per 100,000, you know, population. Mm -hmm. So the lowest, uh, even though Ontario has the most dense population, uh, it has the most population. Ontario has the lowest, 609 nurses per 100,000 uh, people. Mm -hmm. uh, second lowest is BC, 650 nurses per 100,000. Right. And the most, um, what do you think that is? And, and just to compare, Newfoundland has 982 nurses per 100,000. Elton, why do you think, <laughs> why do you think uh, nurse, there's less nurses in Ontario and BC where we have majority of the population than in, uh, you know, obviously there's a shortage everywhere, but yeah. just to kind of compare, why do you think there's a shortage in, in Ontario specifically? I, I, I think a few things pop in my head for mm -hmm. that is um, it could be the nurses are going to the private sector Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we're not getting data on that part. There's some clinics, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Or the other part is maybe the cost of living is too expensive in the big cities nowadays, right? Is I agree. Um, the population, uh, you know, population obviously is one thing, but obviously mm -hmm. wherever there's a dense population, the real estate is always so expensive. And that's where it right. comes out. Ontario and BC, housing prices are so expensive where a nurse says, you know, I'm pay, may, making 50, 60K to start. Uh, yeah. That is not... I can't, I need to save up maybe 20, 30 years before I can even put a down payment on a house. That's right. what it's coming down to. And, right? and I think, you know, maybe we're going off topic, but mm -hmm. uh, cost of living is going up, but we kept the nurses pay, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, Doug Ford, uh, I think it was 1% over mm -hmm. e every year of uh, the pay. Yeah. Goes. So what they said, they have a bill 124, mm -hmm. uh, which limits the pay to 1% per year for nurses and teachers. So uh, you know, it, it exempts, um, you know, fire, police, and, and other sectors, but they're saying that it's, you know, it's it's one percent. It's crazy because if you were a new nurse just yeah. joining in, yeah, and you're starting off with obviously probationary pay or low pay, mm -hmm. and it just your your next increase goes up by one percent. That's not a lot. I mean, inflation is it's at seven point six. Right. Um, you know, why is it that they're capped at 1%, especially on, on, on fields that we need, yeah. uh, especially nursing. It makes no sense, especially where we're short on nurses. It doesn't make sense to, you know, limit their pay by per percent. It right. should be based on performance. Yeah, you know, anywhere from 1% to 5%, whatever. Right. Uh, but it shouldn't be capped at that. And No, and, and the other problem is if we're capping pay, mm -hmm. how are we going to attract foreign nurses to come into this this province or this country and say, you know, work mm -hmm. for us. This is this is what we're offering you. Especially in Ontario, there's there's probably going to be nurses that are saying, "I don't want to work in Ontario. I'll probably go to Newfoundland or something else." And there is a burnout effect, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, because whenever you're in a, a dense populated area, uh, whether it be you know, city of Ottawa, city of uh, Toronto, you know, anywhere you're, there's always a the the hospitals are consistently busy. Right. Versus if you're a little bit out of town, a little bit out of the way mm -hmm. where, you know, the surge happens, let's say during, you know, certain times, it's like, you know, having a restaurant where you're consistently busy, um, yeah. you know, uh, it doesn't slow down. So um, I found a video about the Bill 124. I just want to play with for you guys. Okay, give me a second here. Ontario nurses have been on the front line fighting COVID-19 for months now, but many today spent the day marching to Queen's Park, rallying against Bill 124. The legislation passed late last year caps wage increases for some public sector workers, including nurses. Workers say it's unfair gender-based wage discrimination. Hey, hey, ho, 
we're here to protest Bill 124. So Bill 124 is, uh, is supposed to be for fiscal responsibility for the province um, by cutting or capping wages by 1% increase for the next three years. The problem with this bill is that it actually exempts municipalities, um, police, fire, and MPP, surprisingly, they got it raised before, uh, before the bill was even passed. It's essentially sexist because it, it only really encompasses nurses and teachers. So, as you heard from there, um, it's funny all the politicians always get the raises. Uh, you know, uh, their raises never never stop. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's you know, I feel for them. I feel for the nurses uh, definitely. I mean, uh, this was from um, you know back in uh, November fifteenth, twenty twenty one. Uh, so, you know, end of last year. But uh, it's it's an issue that the nurses feel like they don't. F they're not treated or they're not getting the fair share. So if that happens, well, yeah. um, why do you think, um, you know, they're going to want to stay in this field? And that's exactly. where a and lot then, of people are, a lot of them are leaving. A lot of right. them are leaving. And this field. is what's causing our long wait lines in ERs. Mm -hmm. And then we're having these ER closures because we don't have the staff. Yep. Uh, you know, like it's a cascading effect. Mm -hmm. Like you said, that it's, it's a ripple effect when certain things don't happen a certain way. So if you don't have the personal doctors, mm -hmm everyone goes to ER. Mm -hmm. You don't have enough nurses, then mm -hmm. we can't triage enough patients mm -hmm. and we don't have enough beds. And then we have this hallway hallway treatment as in the beds are in the hallways. It's just people waiting. It, it's a lot of things to, to digest here. And, you know, we need to make sure that people are taken care of. Um, just, uh, just getting ERs closed is not a good thing because you can't treat the patient. And, and agreed, you, it, agreed. It's, it's unfortunate. It's, uh, I mean, we're getting a lot of uh, ER, ERs closed in, in, you know, in small towns that you hear about. Uh, but even, uh, you know, east of Ontario, Ajax or, or you know, or, um, or, you know, there was an ICU closed for, you know, for a month or longer uh, where, you know, patients uh, were directed to Ajax uh, Pickering and Oshawa hospitals, you know, so th this is a, this is a big issue and it kind of has a ripple effect. So if you close one section, then, yeah. you know, population has to go to the other and it becomes a, becomes a big hassle for the hospitals to handle. Right. Because, you know, a hospital is built for us, for a certain population in mm -hmm. mind. And now mm -hmm. you're bringing, I don't want to say outsiders, but mm -hmm. they're out of towners. And, uh, if they are not getting the care in their own town and they're coming to let's say Pickering, they're going to Oshawa, whatever the case might be, you're, you're overloading the beds in the other town now. So, you know, we need to make sure the staffing, uh, there's no staffing shortage across most of the hospitals there. And some hospitals, a perfect example is the Brampton and Civic Hospital. It's, it's in general, uh, based on the population, I think they definitely, we in that area, we definitely need two or more hospitals. I mean, right. And what happens is obviously it's, it has a reputation for one of the worst hospitals in DTA. Mm -hmm. So what people do is, yes, they'll go to Etobicoke, they'll go to Georgetown, they'll go to further hospitals, Oakville, Milton, and that causes more uh, pressure um, you know, on the hospitals, especially right. for kids. I know a lot of people from anywhere in the GTA go to sick kids. I personally would take my kids there in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. uh, but it causes a lot of... Uh, you know, pressure on the hospital. So definitely, uh, along with staff shortages, uh, we also need to consider, you know, where we have a, a, a large amount of population. We don't, when they, when they, when they got, we're looking for donations for the Brampton Civic Hospital. Right. They told everybody, oh, we're going to, this is a secondary hospital. We're not going to close the older one. What do they do? As soon as they fired up uh, Brampton Civic Hospital, they closed down the other one. So right. uh, I know it's opened as a, you know, uh, as a, you know, uh, another, um, you know, uh, health facility now. It's not a hospital, mm -hmm. so, but uh, I think we definitely need another hospital in Brampton like ASAP or should have had it for, as of, uh, you know, a decade ago. Uh, right. So, you know, there's, there's, those, there's those problems. I mean, th this is where the lack of planning and foresight doesn't come in either from the politicians. Agreed. Um, they know that the city's expanding or mm -hmm. other cities are growing as well and yeah. we need to take care of things. But you cannot just keep prolonging things and be like, we'll mm -hmm. take it next care, take care of it next election term yeah, or whatnot. Yeah, next term, right? if I'm around, right? Right. <laughs> so that's the crazy part. There. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, what do you think... Uh, I mean, what do you think some of the solutions are? What can we do to, you know, let's say if you were a politician, what would you do 
you know, it's easy to point fingers at politicians and, and say, hey, you know, you're not doing a good job. But what would you do yeah. uh, if you were in power? Like, what were some of the things we can do as Canadians? Well, right now, what we're doing is we're lacking bringing in the foreign trained doctors and mm-hmm. nurses right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, they have long wait lines that is actually too much of a wait time. Agreed. We have... Uh, a lot of doctors, a lot of uh, nurses who come from other countries and we, you know, we give them even PRs based on that. Hey, you're a skilled uh, person, come over. And, uh, you know, but did you know that currently there's about more than 13,000 international trained doctors uh, who are not working as doctors? So, and 40% of them not even in the healthcare business. They're driving a taxi, driving a truck, whatever the case may be, uh, working in a factory. So it's, you know, and Canada ranks about 26th in the world uh, in terms of patient, physician to patient ratio. It's yeah. about 2.8 doctors per thousand people. Yeah. 2.8. And, and the thing is, you know, when we bring them here on false promises that you get hired immediately, mm-hmm. some of them are still going for classes. They're, they're mm-hmm. doing courses again that they've already passed out in their home countries and i can understand some people will say maybe they forged their licenses or something yeah. uh but this is where you test them you yeah. test them you let them do residency for a few months yep. see if they're actually up to date on what they're yeah. doing because medical terms are not that different around the world mm-hmm. right? yeah i mean have uh, the nurses and doctors have them fast track to into testing it should be taking weeks maximum months and then from there you can put them under a physician or a nurse and then they, you know, within three months, six months, like, a re, you know, they do residency. It could be like probation, how employers have probation, you know, uh, within three or six months, if they don't, they don't think they're fit or they don't qualify or, or they don't have the expertise to be in this field, then uh, we should be able to, you know, say, no, you're not ready yet. Go back okay. to study more or yeah, yeah, you're, you're good enough. And then, you know, you qualify and then, you know, you, you start practicing, right? Yeah. Because right now the problem is, you know, there's not enough doctors and nurses being trained in Canada. Mm-hmm. There's uh, like, I know for nurses, there's, or doctors, there's like a double digit weight line. Yeah. Very, right? very like, limited seating. Um, you just know, to, just to enter, just to do yeah. classes. Yeah. Right. I agree. So I agree. one year is like 15, 20, and then there's only ex- uh, entrance exam once a year. Yeah. Um, it defeats the purpose of, are we planning for the amount of people we're going to mm-hmm. bring into Canada? Yeah. Are we yeah. planning enough for the babies that are being born? Yeah. They're going to and retire. The ba- and the baby boomers, right. Yeah. That are retiring soon. Uh, here's a video, uh, about for, you know, uh, that I want to play for you guys. Uh, listen to this. Motherhood isn't the reason Dr. Saida Azam hasn't been able to work as a family physician during the pandemic. I really felt bad that I couldn't participate actively. Instead, she says it's that her years of training and experience come from India and Oman. Certifications, she says, that are basically meaningless in Canada, where it's not possible to simply transfer your skills. You know, comparing to countries like U.S. and U.K., the the process is, is a little bit lengthier. Time-consuming, confusing, and costly, too, says Dr. Shafi Buyan, a professor at the University of Toronto, who came to Canada more than 10 years ago. This is not only doctor problem, also nurse, midwife, uh, microbiologist, uh, dentist, all sorts of population. With staffing shortages derailing hospitals across the country and 5 million Canadians unable to secure a primary care physician, Buyan says the solution is to invest in foreign trained doctors. So as you can see from there, um, there's doctors that are ready um, and they wanted to help during COVID and they could have gotten involved um, had the process, um, you know, been much more you know, efficient, right? So uh, right. we and, need and, to improve it. And, and you know, that's, and like in her case, um, can't speak to everything, what's going on with her, mm-hmm. but if she was brought here because she's a doctor, because it's very hard to immigrate to Canada yep. unless, and I know some people will have issues with immigration mm-hmm. in Canada mm-hmm. as usual. Like mm-hmm. there's always two sides to everything. Yep. Um, but me, myself, when I had to go through the immigration process, mm-hmm. I know people had to list what they're studying for and mm-hmm. what they are and, you know, the higher points you score the better chances of you emigrating so if you're willing to poach doctors from different countries and make them settle here why not 
fast track the process yep. instead of making them do a test and go through classes and that might be a year or two year process why can't we fast track this why can't we greenlist the countries that we can trust if the process if the thinking is that there might be fake degrees out there or fake doctors mm-hmm. you know like right now uh, i know we've been talking about this for quite a few months and and maybe over a year longer where we had you know we recommended when i spoke to you last time is is this where we can fast track and and appears uh, on september 7th uh, you know there's an article on global news it says ontario gives okay for nursing college to expedite international nurse registration so uh, at this point i think they are going to do this but why this late and why this why can't we do this for doctors as well so right. we're now we're you know we're panicking we're going to the um you know College of Nurse of uh, Nurses of Ontario, and we're saying, "Hey, we need help. What can you do?" And then, you know, they're coming up with, you know, we've been, they've been trying to, you know, say, "Hey, we've been trying to get this for the longest time." They're going to find a way to fast track some of these uh, nurses, uh, foreign mm-hmm. nurses. But why can't we do that with doctors? Why, why, and why haven't we done this? I mean, with doctors for over a few decades now, we've been right. shortage on doctors for quite a few decades now and why are we not doing more is my question so you're right it's not a proactive approach it's more a reactive approach every time we're reactive and that's yeah and and, and, you know it's and it's not only us in the cities out here in ontario and bc that's having issues um you know even even the indigenous people up north they're having issues with healthcare as well they don't have you know the proper um nurses uh doctors they don't even have the facilities sometimes Mm -hmm. they gotta travel a day or two, maybe less, yep. depending where the settlements are. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's not like it's a new issue that just Popped happened, up. Exactly. right? Exactly. COVID made it worse, obviously. Yep. Mm-hmm. But this is where, you know, I fault the politicians and I, partly as us as well, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we don't hold the politicians accountable, right? We turn a blind Agreed. eye to everything and say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't affect me. So why should mm-hmm. I care about mm-hmm. this, right? Agreed. Um, and now we're facing the wrath of the situation where you know, people are not getting the proper healthcare that they need. This man has to spend 5K for mm-hmm. for something that he shouldn't mm-hmm. for a personal doctor. Like, you know, the, even Ontario, we are having a shortage of personal yeah. doctors, right? So let's let's not even go that far. Let's talk about ourselves. Do you have a family doctor? I, I don't, but my okay. dad does. And, okay. uh, and why don't you? Well, when I tried to join my dad's personal doctor, mm-hmm. again, this was when I was younger. I yeah. felt like I didn't need a personal exactly. doctor, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is where, when you're young, you feel like it's not your problem. Exactly. Yet, right? right. Yeah. Um, so you know, now we're in our 30s and whatnot, and you know, you know, especially I have kids, and I want a family doctor. So I don't have a family doctor. I had a really good family doctor, which took a long time for me to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had really bad experiences in the past. I finally found a good family doctor. Unfortunately, he passed away. And now I don't have a family doctor for the last few years. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for one, but it seems like uh, by the time I find a good family doctor, somebody's recommended me, a family or a friend, Mm -hmm. they have a wait list. They're not accepting new uh, patients. So I think, and and, in places like PEI, um, from what I've heard, people are on average waiting four to eight years for a family doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're saying, "Where well, yeah, now we have to take our kids or whoever, we have to go to the ER. Right. And so I think, you know, just speaking volume, I think a lot of people need a family doctor. And I think that will stop a lot of people from going into ER. And, yeah, and, I, and the other yeah. challenge to that is, yes, you have a family. Let's say you are able, one of those lucky people that have a good family doctor and you're happy with them. Yeah. Getting a specialist appointment for anything. So... Whether you need an MRI, I know a family member who had a, uh, a, you know, later found out that he had a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to wait almost a year for an MRI, okay. which is unacceptable. Yeah. You know, especially being a first world country. Yeah. Uh, I think it's unacceptable. So why does it take that long? It shouldn't take that long. Like MRI should be okay. Here's one in the next few days, two weeks, I understand. Yeah. Uh, but it should not take months or a year to f- schedule an MRI appointment. Right. And that's a big issue. And and same thing with the specialists. So we have specialists and, you know, just in doctors in general, we're having a, 
hard time retaining and keeping doctors in Canada. And then a specialist just adds volume to that. Right. And then so this family member had to wait, let's say, a year for an MRI and another year for surgery. Now, mm -hmm. God forbid this guy was in his, uh, you know, early 30s. God for something happens earlier. He, you know, he, something happens. Then what? A lot of people end up dying or, or, or getting worse, obviously, uh, waiting for these specialist appointments, waiting for these MRIs, waiting for these CT scans. It shouldn't take that long. It takes right. a long time. No, and, uh, you know, lack of family doctors, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you don't have someone to go to, and this is causing people to go to ERs, yeah. right? Yeah. That's causing people to overload the system when they don't need to. Yep. Right? And, Great. and this is where I think they were talking about also having pharmacists uh, fill out prescriptions or help out with certain things yeah that's the government solution is <laughs> as of january next year yeah uh, apparently it's implemented uh, january 2023 uh, pharmacists will be able to prescribe drugs so uh, obviously there's a limitation uh, mm -hmm. to certain drugs and everything um, but there are certain drugs that they can um, you, you can go to your pharmacist and pretty much uh, get some of those now the good side to that is, yes, it reduces trips to ERs or, or fa you know, for people who don't have family doctors. Mm -hmm. um, um, it reduces even trips to the family doc because if you need uh, something, you know, that you have to just go to your doctor, just you know exactly what you need or your doctor knows exactly what you need on a regular basis. Why do you need to go to your doctor every few weeks or months to get that, right? Yeah. So it reduces, you know, obviously wait times and, and, and lineups at your family doctor and even walk-in clinics. So you get your medication faster. Right. It takes the pressure off the hospital, off the nurses, off the doctors, you know, obviously EMS and everybody. So that's a good point. So, but what do you think are the cons to this? What do you think, you know? Yeah, so, you know, for me, I, I feel like if we were to go down this road, mm -hmm. you know, pharmacies have to make money. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's and, what and, their and ultimate goal is. Yeah. Right. You know, they, they can say they're for healthcare, which is true. Mm -hmm. They are. They are prescribing mm -hmm. drugs for us and whatnot. I, I mean, they're dispensing drugs for us. Mm -hmm. um, the downside I see to this one is there are there are companies that will pay the pharmacists to sell their brands. Mm -hmm. well, it, one drug over another. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, you know, it might not be cost costing us much because we do have healthcare subsidized for us. Yep. But then it does cost the government money, which is, which is us in the end paying for this. Yep. Um, and I remember seeing a, a CBC documentary a long time ago, mm -hmm. maybe four or five years ago, mm -hmm. where From they went to 2018. Yep. Yeah, where they went to Costco mm -hmm. and they were able to see what uh, what was going on. Basically, they, they had someone going in acting as a uh, drug maker mm. and Costco was basically demanding a lot of money to to make sure that their drug that drug would be upfront available available in the or, pharmacy right or, or, or available backs, yeah kick, backs, basically yeah. kickbacks <clears throat> to say that hey i will promote your drug over mm -hmm, this drug mm -hmm. and whatnot right so so yeah how do you you know how do you prevent I'm, I'm, from, you know they're essentially shopkeepers how do you prevent shopkeepers from you know from and this is the problem right uh, mm -hmm. I, and i'm not trying to say all pharmacists are bad no no, no but no. in the end we are people that do stuff for money mm -hmm. right in the end we got to take care of ourselves we got to take care of families we got to put roof over our heads mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. money does talk unfortunately yeah, yeah. right um but at the same time if we were to go down this road of pharmacists doing this we need to have a government that's able to monitor this mm -hmm. but i don't think the government will be able to monitor yeah, the question this. is who's going to watch who's going to watch the pharmacies right? yeah exactly because yeah, right now the government has failed us in so many things mm -hmm. and just adding another list for them to take care of it mm -hmm. will not help the situation agreed agreed um so other than planning ahead you know being proactive and all of that uh we talked about we talked about um obviously uh, you know, expediting foreign uh, doctors and nurses from, uh, you know, joining our healthcare system. Um, what are your thoughts on, obviously, this is a, you know, uh, big topic these days. It's uh, it's in the news. Is privatization of the Canadian healthcare system. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't think mm -hmm. privatization can help us. Um, Why not? If you, if you look at the states right now, mm -hmm. they are somewhat private. They are privatized and they are somewhat with the Obamacare, mm -hmm. they do have Medicare, some things yeah. there. Mm -hmm. But again, with privatization, it's money talks and whoever has the most money can be helped out, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And in the end, it always affects the lower class people or the low wage earners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if you see like, if, if, if one of the workers at uh, 
Tim Hortons. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not getting paid a lot. And Agreed. if they were to go for privatized healthcare, they would not be able to afford it. So it's a lot of things that's affecting people here, you know, like um and then with with America, if you see how people get their healthcare, mm-hmm. they basically go job hunting with with obviously good pay, but mm-hmm. also whatever the, the healthcare benefits are. Mm. Right? So you're always stuck to that job. You cannot just leave your job and go to another job and be like, I'm okay. Yeah. You always look for that healthcare. So yeah. I, I know you probably might have a different view, but I feel like the low wage earners mm-hmm. in this country will definitely lose out on mm. this healthcare. No, good point. Um, I think uh, instead of full, uh, uh, from my understanding, uh, the way I look at it is, is, is you know, America is mostly privatized. And there's a lot of lobbying going on in the government and everything from For these, sure. you know, and there's a very little, um, you know, public health care. Whereas here, I think it's obviously just public right now. But I think if the systems work in parallel where, you know, we have half and half, I mean, we prefer perfect world. Yeah. Uh, we have half and half where we have public, we have private. I think some of the things it can do is, is obviously offload the stress from, from government funded hospitals and facilities. Um, so less wait times and you can see specialists and whatnot. Um, and uh, because, you know, right now we know that the system isn't working. Either we need a revamp or we need to introduce something. So my thought is if we can have a parallel system where we can kind of uh, have a competition, because some countries do have that, you mm-hmm. know, UK, Germany, and other countries where the government even pays for private facilities, right? Yeah. As long as you can get that. So it will introduce more doctors into the field, more nurses. But I understand your point of view where the con is, is, we might have a lot of nurses or doctors go from public to private, and we might not have some. Um, well, a lot. We've of, already seen that so yeah. far. We've seen nurses go, mm-hmm. nurses and doctors go to the uh, private facilities there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've already seen the effects there. That's why we're having yeah. the shortage right now. Um, so if you're running parallel, mm-hmm. you know, obviously money talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are all greedy people yeah, in the yeah, end yeah, of the yeah, day. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. For, and, for and all the, the good they do, the and doctors at the same and nurses. time, we don't want the monopoly happening to mm-hmm. sort of how right now we have a monopoly in telecommunications, we have a monopoly in the airline industry, we have a monopoly. Right. We don't want to end up that type of monopoly where these bigger companies come in, private, especially private ones, and they just overtake and then yeah. they run the run the show. So I am definitely not for full privatization. You know, full privatization. I think it should be half and half or some type of division. Um, but I get your, your point of view about it will create a division between a per, poor person getting very basic or no health care or, you know, or having challenges uh, versus somebody wealthy. So it will create a class division. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, when the mm-hmm. pay is better mm-hmm. in private, mm-hmm. why should I slave over a government job when mm-hmm. I can go into the mm-hmm. private field and pay more? Mm-hmm. And now I know some people say, no, that's not how we are. We are always helpful. And, mm-hmm. and we're not. We, mm-hmm. we pretend we are something, but we're not. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end, money speaks because look at the cost of living in Ontario itself. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, 100%, let's, I think step one would be obviously to, you know, work on our, uh, you know, staff shortages in terms of doctors, nurses, and everything. And if that doesn't work, though, what else can we do, do you think, I, I, before going to step two, which is privatization? To be fair, I, I think mm-hmm. just getting more doctors and nurses should help resolve the problem. Because honestly, we've never, the government never looks into mm-hmm. uh, the future, mm-hmm. right? And what exacerbated this, this whole situation is COVID, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't help that we have conspiracy theories going online saying that this, this yeah, COVID was COVID a control theory. thing. And then these are the people that are causing the wait lines in the ER yeah, yeah, because these agreed. people didn't want to get the vaccine. Exactly. Now you can be a pro vaccine against mm-hmm. the vaccine, whatever the case might be. But mm-hmm. these people look online and they think they're better than the doctors and nurses that train for years yeah, on yeah, how yeah. to deal with diseases. Makes sense. And we have these people overloading our system mm-hmm. and then nurses and doctors forced to treat these people. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why they're getting burnt out because they are seeing that people that didn't care about the other humanity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, taking up resources and people that couldn't get the resources are mm-hmm. dying. And and that's one situation we're dealing with is that's why their nurses, doctors are getting burnt out. So yes, COVID did amplify things um, mm-hmm. 100%, but 
even without COVID, let's take COVID out of the equation. Right. We were already at a low point. Mm-hmm. We were already struggling for decades now with shortage of doctors. We were already struggling. So yes, COVID did amplify things. And, you know, once and slowly it's being resolved and, and you know, we'll get out of this COVID. My question is, is do you think, um, you know, without COVID, we wouldn't be in this issue. I think we would be. You know, we would have been this issue. So it, it might com- have been in, a, in it, another it few comes, years. It comes back to the point of mm-hmm. the government had so much regulations on these foreign doctors mm-hmm. and exactly. not letting foreign doctors get trained ASAP. Exactly, exactly. The other yeah, problem, yeah. like I mentioned before, is the schooling mm-hmm. for doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we don't. the government doesn't have the foresight to see what skilled labor is needed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, if they were able to say or project okay, the population is going to increase by 10%. Yep. We're going to need another 10% more doctors. Mm-hmm. This is where they could have gone and said, all right, we need more doctors, nurses. We're mm-hmm. going to pay for your schooling or we're going to give you a discount on something. Yeah, why not have some grants? So, for example, uh, if, you know, for nursing programs, uh, you know, let's say I'm just giving an example. I don't know what the numbers are, but let's say per semester is $3,000 for tuition fees. Why can't the government cover half or desperate times even full uh, for those fields, then you get a lot more, you know, uh, people going for those fields. Or you pay for full and Mm -hmm. then you have them sign like a five-year contract. You serve us for five years in Mm -hmm. this province. You do not go to another province. Yeah, right. that's true. Um, That's a good point. You know, like, this is the thing. We never never held the politicians accountable. Mm -hmm. They're always worried about their seat for next term. Yeah. Um, Again, the schools need to have more placement options instead mm-hmm. of having like 12 per year yeah like certain seating seating you know, requirements like, yeah agreed again, agreed and, and not- there's people leaving from um, you know this province going to different provinces because there's not enough seats as well as doctors and uh, a lot of uh, you know um, people in the healthcare industry are leaving to go to the u.s or other countries so they can uh it's just you know, so they can, you know, it's they can get that seat, right? They can get yeah. that into, they and, can get and, and, into and the field. And some of them go to the states and you get paid mm-hmm. more as well, yeah. right? Money does talk. So yep. bill, having Bill 124 limit the payment options. Yeah, yeah. Bill, it's frustrating. It's, it's crazy. Where a how, nurse who's work, who's in, let's say, Windsor, uh, yeah. she might just travel to Detroit for a job back and forth, right? Yeah. As an example. Yeah. And that, that's the crazy stuff. So I, I know we were always at a low point with the healthcare, mm-hmm. but it was never a top priority till it affected everybody. Yeah. Right, and this mm-hmm. is this is where I say we should open up more schools or open up the amount of placement options that mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. for doctors, nurses, yep. EMS. Mm-hmm. You know, there shouldn't have been a limit. Um, and I think, honestly, I feel like this is part of the government's way of trying to privatize this. And this was mm-hmm. just made it worse by the Ford government. Mm-hmm. You're limiting the pay for the nurses. Mm-hmm. Why? Right, one percent. One percent doesn't make sense for yeah, the rate of inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I mean, more nurses leave it makes more point for him to say, yes, you know, this makes sense for private healthcare. We can bring in business, whatever mm-hmm, the case mm-hmm, might be. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's just a, to a detriment of us, mm-hmm. everybody involved. Um, and I know last mm-hmm. election, not a lot of people went out and voted just because they feel, felt like they had no one to vote for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's not an excuse. Yeah. Um, but to coming back to trying to solve this, mm-hmm. I think just opening up spots, more spots, mm-hmm. training more Foreign res- uh, mm-hmm. foreign doctors, letting them do their residency yep. easily, um, because I've met people. I remember back in two thousand seven or eight, mm-hmm. I met this cab driver. He was mm-hmm. an Iranian doctor, a neurosurgeon, wow. and he was driving a cab. And he said he has to study for two years. But at that point, he felt like he was cheated in the way mm-hmm. he came here, moved his family here, and he has to study again. And he was an accomplished doctor in Iran. Yeah. And he was telling me how he was thinking of going back to Iran, even mm. though the government there was not the best for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, he needs to feed his family and mm-hmm, kids. And mm-hmm. why should he slave through studying again when he knows everything? Yeah. yeah so yeah. this is where I feel like there's a disconnect in the government procedures mm-hmm. among different departments. If we're scoring certain immigrants on the type of jobs they have mm-hmm. and we're bringing them here, why are we not having another program for them to easily transition through yeah. through living Agreed. in Canada, Agreed. right? You know, we, we jump through hoops and uh, the government easily brings in, you know, refugees, provides them everything under mm-hmm. the sun, mm-hmm. but we don't take care of foreign skilled workers that we desperately need here. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? Agreed. Um, Agreed. So I feel like if we were able to, again, going back to the whole topic of mm-hmm. bringing more for our foreign trained doctors, nurses, and training them up and mm-hmm. opening up more class spaces, I think will solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it will take time now because you can't easily just train up someone and they'll know everything. They, yep. they need to have those years of skills mm-hmm. uh, knowledge imparted on them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how it, it's just going it's just going downhill and yeah. you know we need to take care of that the the other issue um I want to talk about because uh, I want to bring your attention to is bill 7 um which you know um was known as the more beds more better care act uh, 2022 uh, which passed uh, without a public input uh, about sending seniors to their non-preferred homes without consent right you heard about that i i did and and, and yeah. this brings up the same things that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. This leads to that, right? Because we have to make these kind of decisions because we weren't well prepared, because we didn't see, you know, ahead. We weren't proactive. Mm-hmm. Because of that, we have to, in, you know, introduce these kind of things where somebody's taking up a bed because there there's not enough space in in long term cares and 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 now. So we, so just people know what uh, Bill mm-hmm. Seven is about. Mm-hmm. It's basically forcing seniors that are taking up beds in hospitals. Yeah, let's say they're stabilized. They're waiting for the long-term care. Yeah, they're waiting for a long-term care of their the choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, because we have shortage of ER beds, these people, these seniors that have served this country well, paid their taxes and dues, mm-hmm. are now being forced to go to a, a, a long-term care of not their choosing. Mm-hmm. And if they refuse that, they are they are going to be fined fifteen hundred a day or more uh, based on the hospital. Exactly. Based on the hospital, yep. <laughs> and and we've all heard the horror stories about uh, abuse in long term cares. Yeah, especially right? during COVID, that came to light, um, where a lot of uh, you know nursing home and 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 retirement homes and long term cares, and uh, they all weren't up to standard, or there was a lot of abuse and a lot of uh, you know you've you've yeah. heard the horror stories, right? And, and still not been fixed, <laughs> and and. <laughs> And, you know, these people that are waiting for the long-term care obviously did their research. Yep. You know, cost is a factor as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there does a reason they're choosing this. And mm-hmm. sometimes the the wait list for these long-term care homes is like 12 months yeah, to 24 it's, months. Yeah, it's long. It's right? long. Very long. Yeah. And it, it's it's not because, you know, they they are choosing to wait there. It's just they want to be close to their family. Family, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so can visit now them, with yeah. this with this Bill 7, mm-hmm. which is, I feel like it's very un-Canadian, mm-hmm. especially here in Ontario. This is passed off in Ontario, but this is very yeah. un-Canadian where we are forcing a senior against their will mm-hmm. to go to a long-term care that they don't know about. Mm-hmm. They have no research. They haven't done research and mm-hmm. you're, you're putting them somewhere that might be at risk. Yeah. Now, if we're already having long wait times already here in the greater Toronto area, yeah. Where are we sending these folks to? Yeah, I mean, let's say they're in Toronto. Um, the politicians uh, say is you know one A is temporary, right? Until mm-hmm. they get their preferred bed, which could which, be months or you know which could is be twelve a, months, longer, twelve to twenty-four right? months. Yeah, um, it's it's a long wait. And then they're saying this tool they was already around for a long time where they could have done this, but it's just uh, they want to go a little further where they can you know um, because there were. Um, you know, if people in the media were saying that this has been, uh, or some politicians were saying that this has been around for a while, uh, but it wasn't like forced upon or whatnot. But now, um, you know, to free up some beds, they're doing this. So, uh, again, another issue, um, which is which is because of poor planning. Yeah, it's you know, and, and people can say, why are they forcing them mm-hmm. to, or mm-hmm. why? Why are they taking up beds in ER? Yeah. And you know, or, sometimes or other departments, yeah, as well. Right, yeah. and mm-hmm. and and the problem is sometimes they need specialized care. You you mm-hmm. know, you send the senior back home, mm-hmm. and if there's no one to take care of them, then yeah. it's you know they're they're going to get into some kind of accident. God forbid, it might be something fatal. Mm-hmm. This now takes up our EMS because yeah. now they have to transport these mm-hmm. people back to ER, and it's a whole cycle again. Yeah, and you know that's why they're waiting for a specialized um, retirement homes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate it's come to this point. And again, yeah. I wish the government had foresight to see this is the baby boomers yeah, exactly. that's going to that retire. Gonna, yep. They need more right? beds. They Obviously, need more you, beds. Can't, you, can't, you can't forecast yep. um, the type of care they might yep. need. But yep. you know, when, when you're frail and old, you, you definitely need all the help you yeah. can. And, and it's crazy that it's come to this where you're forcing people against their will. Yeah, agreed. So 
especially with baby boomers retiring, I think we definitely need more retirement homes, you know, long-term cares and, and whatnot. So we definitely need to start working on that. I mean, we should have done that like years ago. Yeah. Even but public's we, uh, PSWs. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have enough PSWs yeah, to yeah, take care yeah, of the seniors, right? Of them, yeah, because PSWs has to do home, call, home checks and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes even nurses, the mm -hmm. personal nurses to go check on each of these patients at different houses. That's yeah. all. Again, shortage of nurses yep. for that as well. Yep. 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 So Agreed. it's a lot of things happening there where it's a cascading effect where mm -hmm. everything's so interlinked. Yeah. Um, but I think just to fix the one main thing, we need to have more staff, more yep. doctors, more nurses. That's that's what it comes down to. I think uh, you know when you start from the top is obviously you know start with you know getting more doctors and more nurses. I think and. Uh, you know, working our way down, um, and as well as more, uh, especially we talked about uh, having more long-term cares and whatnot. That, that's going to be a need that's coming. So we need to work on that. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it's been crazy, uh, but um, hopefully, you know, we can try to solve things and resolve things and get yeah. people together. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it's been, a, it's been a crazy last few years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we, we need to go further. We need to start thinking ahead. And that's a key point. Yep. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. Uh, we're coming to an end here. And, you know, thank you for listening and watching here, us here today. Um, the reason we started this podcast is to discuss topics that are affecting us in ways that we never thought about. <laughs> in this instance, if we don't take an active approach in fixing our healthcare system, mm -hmm. there, may, there may come a point where the system collapses and then the <laughs> doctor has to choose whose life to save. Yeah, I mean, we all need to do our part as well uh, by getting involved, uh, by having these type of conversations with others and holding our politicians accountable. Talk to your local MP, you know, see what his or her point of view is. And remember that when voting, right? Uh, that's that's key. Um, we need to hold everybody accountable and, and especially when they're, you know, our lives are at risk with healthcare. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, so that's our view. What's your view? Let us know. All right. See you on the next one. See you guys. See you. Medical Care Services Ontario has provided this color-coded chart for doctors to help assess a patient's predicted short-term mortality risk, assessing their chances of dying in the next 12 months from non-COVID causes. So do they have heart disease? Do they have lung disease, kidney disease? Do they have cancer? How likely are they to survive from their other um, illnesses and, and medical problems over the next year?